Well, it's good to be back at Kingsliff Church. I've been away for the last three weekends, and I've been over in Mongolia. Okay, so there's a picture with a fairly large friend that I found over there. And so we went over with, uh, there was a team of four of us, and we went to a, a little town in, near UB in, in Mongolia. I mean, a mission trip where we're doing some community work, some, and working with the local church there in an evangelistic series as well, which was really, really exciting. And, and maybe there'll be a possibility to go back there. We're not sure yet, but um, I was really impressed with the church there. This is the Nalak Seventh-day Adventist Church, and it's a bit hard to see there on the screen, but if you could see it properly, the thing you would notice is that there's almost no oldies there in that church. There's only, there's 23 members, and there's only two people who are over the age of 30, and so they're often in Australian churches, churches are like, we just need some young people. Over there, they're completely opposite. They say, we just need some old people. Can you get some old people to come to our church? So... If there's any oldies who feel a missionary calling, no, there's, um, but really exciting church to be a part of, part of there. And also we had a number of people that got um, baptized at the end, if that's going to work. There were three young girls who joined the small little church, and this is what a baptismal font looks like, Mongolian style. That's just a, a cupboard that they pulled out of somewhere, lined with plastic, and there's no snow on the ground at the moment, but earlier that morning it had snowed a little bit, and they basically had to put these girls right down until they're lying down on their backs to get them underneath the water because it was taking too long to heat the water up. So here's one of the girls that got baptized there. So I had a really good time over in Mongolia, and Pastor David is back over in America, which you're probably aware of, and he's over there for another two or three weeks as well. But to, now we're going to dig into the next chapter of, of our Blazing Grace um, series. And if you're here for the first time, we've been going on a, a year-long journey through the Old Testament. And this series is called Blazing Grace, Another Look at the Old Testament Story. And we've been working our way step-by-step step through the story, through the beginning, the family, the exodus, the land, and now we are getting into the kings. And... Specifically, we're going at one of Israel's greatest kings, the story of David. Now, Judy um, talked about last week about the calling of, of David and Goliath, and we're going to be unpacking a little bit more of David's story. And I was a bit overwhelmed at first when I, went and I sat down to read through this story, because suddenly I realized that the story of David is a pretty gigantic, significant story in the Bible. It's half of 1 Samuel, it's all of 2 Samuel, it's part of 1 Kings, and then the story is retold in 1 Chronicles, and then you have basically a large proportion of the Psalms, which is written by David as well. And so a big part of my preparation was just trying to um, pour through the story of David, and what I decided to really focus on this, this is going to be over, David's going to be over four weeks, and today we're going to be looking at David's journey f- to the throne so from being a shepherd boy, being, receiving the calling to be Israel's ki- next king, right up to being the, the king of Israel, who was going to establish um, and really set the path for Israel for the next quite a number of generations. Now, as I studied this, I was actually, as I was reading through this, I was really challenged in my view of the story of David. 
And I think that for me, and maybe some of you as well, my story, of, my picture of David has been filtered through the lens of the really popular stories. One being, firstly, Goliath. And that kind of makes us picture David as this really um, courageous king. And the other one is that of um, Bathsheba, which we see the great downfall of David. And, but today we're going to really be looking between those two stories. And the story is not as smooth as I necessarily thought it was. In fact, it's very, very complicated. And so to help you understand the story and to help me just even just get through the story with all its twists and turns, I decided to come up with a bit of a chart for you, okay? And I don't know if you've ever been in a group, like in some of the small groups, at least in mine, we often go around the circle and we get each person to share a high and a low from their week. A high being something that's really good that's happening in their life, and a low being something that's not so good. And so what we're going to do, we're going to track the journey and the experience of David, and where the line is high, this is when it's a really high point in David's life, and when it's low, it's going to be a really down experience in David's life. And so that's sort of the plan of what we're going to do. So David began as a shepherd boy, and I can imagine he was... He was often overlooked by the rest of his family. And we know this because when Samuel rocked up to anoint and to find the next um, king of Israel, he first went to the firstborn of Jesse. And he went there and he saw him and he was this, this very handsome, kingly looking man. And, but God told Samuel, it's not this person. And so along comes the second, the second um, eldest in the family. No, it's not this one. The next one, the next one, the next one. And the seven sons of, well, the ones that were there, of Jesse, came and they stood before, and God said to Samuel, it's none of these people. And Samuel said, is there anyone else? And Jesse said, yes, there is actually, but he's tending the sheep. And maybe that gives us a little bit of a picture of what it's like to be the youngest, the, the last born in a family. I'm, the, I'm the, the youngest in my family, and I can imagine if you have a big family of, of of as many sons as, as Jesse did, that you'd get overlooked a bit. And so David's experience would have started somewhat low. But along comes Samuel. And Samuel has a calling from God for David. And this calling is that he is going to be the next king. Now, David was probably wondering, how is this going to happen? what will be the journey that, it will, that I will be taken on in order to become the king? He had no idea how, how God was going to achieve this, but God had this promise. And so we find the first stage is that David is anointed as king. And as we go through, our little chart up here is going to get increasingly sort of cluttered and full. And that's kind of on purpose in that it sort of illustrates the complexity of this whole journey from David going to becoming king. And the journey was not a smooth journey had ups and downs, but through the, whole, through the whole thing, we see God's hand and God's providence guiding the way. Soon, King Saul was having this distressing spirit who was um, harassing him, and one of his servants said, maybe you should find someone who can play some, some sweet music to help you feel more at ease. And they find um, young David, who happened to be quite a musician as well, and he is taken into the king's um, the king's presence. And this is really the, the place for a, a future king to be. He can watch Saul. He can see what his life is like um, in the kingdom. But that was not all, that was not the only talent that 
um, David had. And in fact, when they summoned him, the servant said, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who was skillful in playing, so he was a musician, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. Does that sound like a king? A king in the making. And so pretty soon, David goes from being the king's musician to being the king's armor-bearer. And that meant he had got to spend a lot of time with King Saul and a lot of time making the right connections, which will hopefully lead him to becoming the next king. And the next thing that happens is the story of Goliath. Now, if there was anything that would establish someone as being on the path to being a king, it would be a situation like this. Here is a young boy without, without a sword, without armor, where all the odds are against him, and yet in God's help, he slays the great Philistine um, champion, Goliath. And the story is actually kind of a little bit gruesome, because at the end of it, um, David goes and he gets the Goliath's sword, and he chops off, um, chops off Goliath's head, and he grabs that head, and he's like walking around with his head of Goliath. And often we don't really tell that when we are sharing it as a, as a children's story. And Saul is, Saul's looking at this man, and he's wondering, whose son is this man? And he asks, his, 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 um, he asks Abner, his, his, his first in, in command, and he says, whose son is here? And he says, I have no idea who this is. And so they summon him in, and in walks David. You can just imagine like holding the hair of Goliath, just his head, and he walks in, in just this wild scene, and he says, I am the son of Jesse. And so this sort of starts to establish David as this, this, um, we often think of him just playing on the harp, don't we? But here he's like this real sort of, um, almost violent warrior man who's just got this like bleeding head in his hand. And so after this happens, David starts to go on with the army out in order to fight um, against um, the Philistines and, and the enemy. And Time after time, we see that David is successful. And it's, it's like God has his hand upon David, and God has his blessing upon David, and whatever he touches turns to gold. Kind of a little bit like Joseph that we learned about earlier in the year. And he's successful, 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 and pretty soon, Saul makes him, sets him over the army. And so he's leading the army in, into battle, and he's being victorious everywhere that he goes. And he comes back one day and the women come out with their tambourines and they're so excited and they start singing praises and, and songs of, of joy and, and, and to, the, to these, these army men who are coming back. And the song they start singing is, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. And we see when this is said, when these songs are sung about that David, this is really a high moment for David. If there was ever a time where he was in a position to be in line for the throne, this was it. He spent time with the king. The people love him. The people are chanting his praises. And he is in a position to take over the kingdom of Israel. But there's one obstacle left. And that obstacle is King Saul. And Saul looks at David, and just like everyone else, he sees a king in the making. And this fills David with, I mean, Saul with fear, with jealousy, and with anger. 
And pretty soon we see that things start to go downhill for David. And one day that David's there playing the harp, um, singing a nice little lullaby to, to King Saul, probably no um, head in his hand. And, and Saul just gets filled with rage and he gets his javelin and he throws it at, at David playing the harp. So he's sort of trying to dodge this, this, this spear as, as, he's, as he's playing. That happens again and pretty soon it's, it's kind of clear that, that it's, a, it's not very safe there for David. But Saul just is trying to work out ways to kill him. And so he comes up with a plot. And his plot is to offer David his daughter in marriage. You might be thinking, how is that going to get rid of Saul? Well, um, Saul brings in David and says, because you've been so successful and because you're so loved by the people, I want to give you my daughter in marriage. And he says, there is going to be no bride price except 100 foreskins of the Philistines. Now, this is a pretty wild part of the story. And, and basically what Saul is thinking, he's thinking, David's going to go, he's going to go into battle, and he's going to get killed. Kind of like what David does later in the story with Uriah. But David says, I will not get you 100, kill 100 men for you, but I'll kill 200. And so David goes to battle, and he comes back with the bride price, and he lays it at Saul's feet. I don't know, what he, don't know if he put it in the treasury of the kingdom or what he did with it, but it's just this ugly, violent sort of a scene. And Saul's plan did not go to plan. And, and once again, David sees himself on another high. And now he's married to the king's daughter. And he is a part of the, the king's family. And he is one step closer to the throne. But Saul's not finished. And Saul meets with his men. He meets with um, Jonathan, his, his son, and, and he says, we're going to try and kill David. And, and so next time, um, once again, Saul is, is, David's playing the harp, and Saul's there listening, but not in, in, in just relaxing, but he's getting filled with rage, and he's, and he gets the javel- his, his spear, and he throws it at David now for the third time, and David realizes, no, I'm going to flee this, and I'm going to flee for my life. So he runs off, and as he's fleeing, he's going to, he goes to a um, number of different places, but he goes in, and he finds safety with Samuel. So Samuel was the, 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 the prophet who's still alive at this point, and he's really highly respected, and David finds safety with Samuel. However, Saul doesn't give up, and he sends some some of his um, servants to go and to da- take David and to bring him back. And do you remember what happens to the servants? They go there, and when they get there, instead of being able to capture David, they all start prophesying. And, and, and Saul is furious at this, and he sends another lot of soldiers, and they start prophesying as well. And eventually Saul says, you know what, I'm going to go and do this job myself. If they can't do it, I'm going to go. And so, so Saul goes there, and he goes to um, Samuel and David, and he starts prophesying as well. And in fact, the Bible says that he strips off his clothes, and for a whole day and a whole night, um, Saul just lays there prophesying. Now, I don't know what happened if that sort of thing happened in this church. Would we go home and say, wow, God has really, really showed up today? 
I don't, it would be a pretty freaky sort of a sight. But that's what happens. And, and Saul is basically completely incapacitated in his, in his attempts to take hold of, 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 of this, this, this David. And so, after this, um, Dave, Jonathan, who's great friends with, with, very close to David and the son of Saul, he thinks, you know what, maybe it's safe and maybe it's time for David to come back. And so, he tells David, but da- and, and, um, and he says, just come back, David. If the king gets angry at you, he's gonna, if he's going to do anything, he's going to tell me first, because... Saul does nothing without telling me before he does it. And if I find out that you're in danger, I'll tell you and you can go. But David's not happy with that. And, and pretty soon, uh, and, and, and so David, they come up with this plan to see whether, what's really in the heart of, um, what's really in the heart of King Saul. Is it a safe place to come back? And after that, they have this sort of, a, um, Jonathan goes and he goes to the king and, and, and with this conversation, pretty soon, and they're talking about David, the king is so filled with fury that he pulls out his spear, and he doesn't just throw it at David, but he throws it at his son, Jonathan. And at that point, Jonathan realizes that this is not a safe place for, um, for David to be. And so Jonathan is, is speared, not to death, but he, he misses him, but he's speared, and again we see that um, David is is. He's getting lower and lower and lower. And he's fleeing and, and he, goes to, he goes to Gath. Now, do you remember who was from Gath? Goliath was from Gath. So here, the great champion who David slung to death with a sling, now David is so scared from his, um, his own people that he flees to the enemy. And he gets there and they're a little bit suspicious of this man that They've heard being sung about um, Saul has, has killed his thousand, but David is tens of thousands. And, and so David is just, he starts, it's like he's starting to lose, he loses his faith and he's, and he's scared and he, and he doesn't know what to do. And pretty soon, he just fakes that he's a madman. And he just starts making, purposely making saliva drill down his, down his face and doing all sorts of wild things. And they just think, oh, he's safe, he's just gone insane. Maybe from walking around with too many um, people's heads, or I don't know what it was. But and so they kick him out, and eventually, and after, and they think he's safe. They don't kill him, but they um, David flees again, and he goes and hides in a cave. Now, earlier in the story, everything was going well for David, but now we see that things. That David's pathway to the to the throne is getting more and more complicated, and unlikely. And while um, David is, and is, cha- is, is in the cave and fleeing to the next wilderness and then to the next cave, Saul is on his tail. The situa- situation happens where, um, which you, you, probably, you might be familiar with this part of this, this is another one of the famous parts of the story, where David and his 400 or so men are hiding in the cave and along comes Saul to relieve himself. And it's kind of a bit of a funny situation that in all... And he doesn't get more vulnerable than that when you're going to the toilet. And Saul is in there, in the cave, and David and all his men are in the back of the cave, and they see him there, and they realize, or the, they think, that maybe this is how we're going to get our victory. But what does David do? He says, this is the Lord's anointed. 
And if God has set this man up as a king, it is up to God to remove him. And so, so David goes, cuts off the part of his, his um, cloak. And when he leaves, he walks out and waves it and says, David, look, I'm not trying to kill you. Why are you chasing me? And so after that, things go, uh, kind of seem safe again. So Saul is vulnerable. He's in the cave. And, once, and after that, we see another situation. Um, David has the opportunity to kill Saul but he doesn't. He takes his, his, his water um, container and his spear and he, and he goes up and says, look, Saul, I'm not trying to kill you. And Saul kind of repents, but David knows that he hasn't really repented. And so then David flees. And when David flees this time, he goes into what is probably the, the lowest point of his life. And he goes to the Philistines and he goes and back to the, the enemy. And he's over at the enemy and he's got his own... <coughs> own little town where his, where his men are, and he has this big deception that he starts pulling. His, um, the, the, the king there, he tells the king, I'm going to go fight against the Israelites. And the king's like, yes. And then basically David goes, he wipes out some little area of, of the Philistines, he leaves no survivors, and he comes back and says, oh, it went really well. And so he builds up this rapport with, with, um, with this king. Um, but in the process, he kind of is deceiving, and he's kind of probably losing a bit of his faith, and he's staying with the Philistines, deception, and then he ends up in this really awkward situation. The Philistines, including that king, they go to war against um, Saul and Israel, and they want to take David along with him. And so he's kind of like, he doesn't want to lose face with the Philistines, he doesn't want to fight against his own people, what's going to happen with that? And eventually, the Philistines kick him out anyway, so He's not wanted by his own people. Now, now he's not wanted by um, the enemy. And he's sent home, and he gets home, and his home, his city, has been taken captive, and it's been destroyed. Worse than that, his wives have been taken off, and his own men then turn on David, and they want to stone him. And he finds that he has nothing now, and he couldn't be further away from the throne if he tried. But afterwards, God starts to work situations to bring him back up towards the throne. And we see Saul dies in that battle. And after this, there's a fairly clean, well, wouldn't say clean, because there was another, another he was made king in Judah, but then there was a, a rival king, civil war, all sorts of murder plots. And then eventually, David is made king of Israel. And if you see at the end, the... The graph doesn't keep going up, it kind of goes down, and that's a bit of a hint of what's going to happen um, next week. Now, the reason that I've, sh- I've got this all shown here is to show that when we follow God's plan for our life, it's not always straightforward. And I've got up here on the screen, just because God is directing your life doesn't mean it won't be a roller coaster. Have you experienced roller coasters in your own life? And sometimes it makes us think, is God really in this? If I'm in such a low situation, where is God? What happened to those promises that God gave us? And I think David would have had plenty of opportunities to think this sort of a things. He lived most of his life as a fugitive. And so what we learn from David's story is that if we give our life to God, if we surrender to Him, it's not necessarily going to be easy. And it's not necessarily going to be smooth. Maybe it will look something like this. 
But the encouraging thing is, if our life does look something like that, if we do find ourselves in the lowest of the low sort of a situation, that we can take courage that God is still in control and God is still leading in our lives. But of all the story, in David's messy, chaotic, roller coaster life, there is one constant all the way through, and that is David's relationship with God. His life is super high, then it's super low, then it's super high, then it's super low. But all the way along, David takes God with him and takes him as his ever-present friend. And I'm going to give you a little bit, an example of what, I've got to be here, David's relationship with God was characterized by. Here is what David's relationship looked like that was able to sustain him and was able to take him right through this roller coaster of a, of a, of a life. And the first thing was, David's relationship with God was characterized by constant communication. And if you read through the story, you'll see something that is repeated over and over again. In 1 Samuel 23 verse 1, it says, When David was told, look, the Philistines are fighting against um, Keilah and and are looting the threshing floors, it says, he, that's David, he inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I go and attack the Philistines? And the Lord answered him. And so he inquires of the Lord. In 1 Samuel 23, 4, once again, David inquired of the Lord and the Lord answered him. In 2 Samuel 2, 1, in the course of time, David inquired of the Lord. In 5.19, so David inquired of the Lord. In 5.22, now there was a famine in the days of David, and David sought the face of the Lord. Unlike a lot of the other kings and a lot of other people in the biblical story, one of the things that characterized David was whenever he got to a low point, and also when he was at his high points, he always turned to God He inquired of God. He communicated of God. And I think we have an important lesson for our lives in that as well. The second characteristic was David recognized that God is the only truly safe place. There are many things that David could have relied upon. He could have relied upon his, his own military abilities, and he had those. He could have relied upon his band of fugitives that he took around with him, and they were pretty good warriors, but they probably wouldn't have got the job done always. He could have relied upon the, the, the strongholds in the, in the mountains and the caves that he, he took refuge in, and he did in some degree rely upon those things, but ultimately David relied upon the only true safe um, thing to rely upon, and that was God. And we see this clearly come out when we go to the Psalms. And I wanted you to turn with me in your Bibles to Psalms 34. And it's really amazing that, that um, Melissa just happened to do her children's story on this very psalm. And so turn, we're going to just, I want to show you a couple things in, in the psalms. Psalm 34. And all the psalms that we're going to look at are taken from um, the, the story that we've just unpacked now, when, when David's fleeing, when he's hiding, when he's afraid, all the Psalms that we're going to look at come out of those situations. And we're going to see where, where David's really placed his trust. And the first one is Psalm 34. And Psalm 34 begins, if you look at the, um, the heading of Psalm 34, it says, um, of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. 
So this psalm was composed sometime near when he was faking to be a madman when he was fleeing for his life. And if you read verse 7, it says, he writes this, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Read verse 10. The young lion suffers want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Can you imagine writing those words when you're fleeing from your life? Verse 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Verse 19. Many are the afflictions of the, of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them from them all. Here we see someone who truly was trusting in God as his only refuge. Turn across to Psalm 56. Psalm 56. Fifty-six. If you read the heading, it says, "To the choir master, according to the the dove on far off uh, terebinths." That's the, what the song was written to. Uh, Matt Kim of David, when the Philistines seized him in Gath. Remember, this is when Gath, where um, Goliath was from, when David went there. And this is what David writes, verse eight: "You have kept count of my tossings and put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book?" What beautiful words that he writes. Verse eleven. In God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? He's trusting in God. Let's look at the next psalm. Psalm 57. It says, Of David when he fled from Saul in the cave. So this, is, this is a situation where, where he's hiding in the cave with all of his band of men. Verse 1. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. For in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge. Till the storms of destruction pass by. There are many things that David could have trusted in, but David's relationship with God was characterized by a recognition that God is the only truly safe place. Number three, David's life, his relationship was characterized by a trusting integrity. You see, it was one thing for David to um, trust that God was going to make him king, But it was another thing to follow God down paths that took him places that made it more and more unlikely that he would become king. Think of the moment when David was in the cave and Saul is there relieving himself. For David, this was an opportunity for him to take the promises of God into his own hands. This was a time for David to say, God has promised I'll be king and this is how how I will become king. But David's integrity would not allow him to do that. And David so was, had so much faith in God and was so trusting in God that he maintained his integrity even when it seemed like it would make him, his becoming king, impossible. And it reminds me of people like Abraham. Remember, God gave Abraham a promise that he would be the father of a great nation. And what was the problem? He didn't have any children. And so he took it into his own hands. He got Ishmael, his, his, his wife's servant, and, and had a child with her. And he was trying to achieve um, God's promises for him. He was trying to take God's promises into his own hand. He didn't have a trusting integrity. But later in the story, when God asked him to sacrifice that only child, in the book of Hebrews it says that he was ready to kill his child, believing that God was even able to raise him from the dead in order to fulfill his promises. And so David's relationship was characterized by a trusting 
integrity. The next one. David's relationship with God was characterized by strength in weakness. And often when we look at David's life and we look at our own lives and we look at those periods of suffering, of hardship, of, of all kinds of difficulty, we look at them and we say, God, why did you allow this to happen? Why did you allow me to, when I was so close, when I was right up, up here and things were going so well, why did you allow me to go so low? And in fact, his, his experience there was pretty low. I love how um, Ellen White describes that low point. It says, she says, David seemed to be cut off from every human support. All that he held dear on earth had been swept from underneath him. Saul had driven him from his country. The Philistines had driven him from the camp. The Amalekites had plundered his city. His wives and his children had been made prisoners. And his own familiar friends had banded against him and threatened him even with death. That's a pretty low point. What did David do when he was at the lowest point in his entire life. Turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 30. 2 Samuel chapter oh, 1 Samuel, sorry, 1 Samuel chapter 30 verse 5. 1 Samuel chapter 30 and verse 5 it says Just give me a moment to, to find it. 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 5 says, David's two wives also had been taken captive, describing the situation. Verse, verse 6, And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, each of his sons and daughters. But this is the, the important part at the end, it says, But David strengthened himself in the Lord him God, his God. So when David was at the lowest of his low, when every sort of support was taken away from him. He couldn't rely on his own people. He couldn't rely on the enemy. His own family had abandoned him. His own warriors had turned on him. At that point in his life, he was strengthened in God. And maybe there's some people here today who are finding themselves in a similar situation like that. And the solution is when we're in those situations, we need to cling all the more closely to God. And it reminds me of Paul when he was in a similar situation, when he was struggling, and he eventually came to this conclusion. He said, For the sake of Christ then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. And doesn't that describe David's life? Paul said, I am content with those things. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And that was the experience of David. When he was at his absolute weakest, he sought God and he was made strong. Strength in weakness. David's relationship with God was also characterized by praise in the midst of hardship. And when we read through the Psalms, we see this shining so clearly. And let's go back to some of the Psalms that we just looked at. Let's go to Psalm 34. Turn your Bibles to Psalm uh, 34. So this is, remember, this is, this is written when, when David changed his behavior and he, um, and he tried to pretend like he was a madman. And the psalm begins like this. So in this moment, he sits down and he, and he pens these words. I will bless the Lord at all times. 
His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Let's look at 57. Cross to 57. This is when Saul is, is in the cave. Oh, sorry, um, David is in the cave. And in verse 6, this is, what, um, this is what David says. He says, They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. All these people have been against him. But he says, My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. So David's relationship was characterized by praise and joy in the midst of some of the worst of hardships. And the final thing that characterized David's life was humility. At the end of all of this, David sat on the, king, on the throne of Israel. And David, I can just imagine him looking back across his life, looking back to when he was that little neglected, last-born child of his family, in, in, in the, looking after, after sheep. He looked back across all the challenges when he was fleeing from his life, when he was so desperate that he, he made up lies to the priest, when he made up and did all sorts of de- deceiving things. And now God had forgiven him for those and had put him upon the throne. This is what David says. It says, Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, This is after he was made king, Who am I, Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And I believe that if we stick with God and we pursue Him and we stay close to Him, that at the end, it doesn't matter how much of a roller coaster our life is, we can look back and say, Who am I? But God has made me the person that I am today. And so we look at the, the relationship that David had with, with, with God, the constant communication, the fact that he took safety in God, his trusting integrity, the strength in weakness, the praise in the midst of hardships, and the humility. May this be an encouragement to us, to us, that if David's life was a roller coaster, and often our life's a roller coaster, maybe you look at this graph and it looks something like your life. Maybe you're in a high point. Maybe your life currently is up here and people are singing songs about you. Maybe not. Maybe. Maybe you're at the low point, like down here when everyone had abandoned David. Wherever you are, wherever you are, maybe be like David in that in David's messy, chaotic, roller coaster life, there was one constant his relationship with God. And so the challenge today is to. Look at our lives and look at the walk that we have with God. Is God the person we go to first? Are we trusting in God? Are we making God our strength? Are we taking, looking at, to Him for our, our strength? Are we looking to Him for our safety? And are we giving Him all the glory?